the question of whether the conduct laid out in this report merits impeachment and conviction, that ha- that question has to be on the table. Whether Congress wants to take the additional step of voting to impeach uh, is a question for them to decide. It's the obstruction that deepens the conspiracy problem, makes the obstruction more serious, rather than saying, well, we know there was no conspiracy, and thus there couldn't have been obstruction. Hi, and welcome to Amicus. Even though it is not a regular week for us, we thought we might roll out a special cobbled together quickie podcast. Uh, We had a little thing happen. It's called the Mueller Report, all 448 pages, of which some was indeed redacted. It was delivered by Mueller uh, and spit shined and fixed up by Bill Barr, the attorney general. And Despite the redactions, we learned an awful lot. And what we essentially learned is, one, that whatever conspiracy happened between Russia and individuals in the Trump campaign, it did not rise to the level of criminal conspiracy. That's one. And two, that... Robert Mueller could not make a call on the question of obstruction of justice for reasons that we're going to discuss later on in the show. The obstruction question was not resolved and Bill Barr resolved it himself. We're going to talk to two wonderful guests who have been looking at these issues for months and months, both of whom are new to the show. We'll start with Matt Miller. He served as the director of the Office of Public Affairs for the Justice Department and as Eric Holder's spokesman in the Obama administration. He's an MSNBC contributor and prolific writer on this subject. Matt Miller, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi. Matt, start us off. There are essentially two questions here. One is this, quote, collusion, which quite quickly we learn that uh, Bob Mueller says is not a thing. And the other is obstruction. Uh, Walk us through for one quick second on the collusion piece, which is essentially Mueller saying I couldn't find criminal conspiracy. The issue is the Russians wanted to help. The Trump folks wanted the help. Still no still no agreement. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's it's uh, much different than how the attorney general described it when he came out and said, basically, that collusion didn't happen. That's what he said in his press conference. And of course, the, the department doesn't establish that crimes didn't occur. What they do is investigate crimes and either decide whether they can charge them or not. And I think the language um, that that you know Mueller uses in the report is much, much different. He said, you know, they investigated it. They found, as you stated, that the Russians were clearly interfering and in trying to help the campaign. At times, the Trump campaign was um, trying to, to accept that help, but that they just couldn't prove it. And I think there's one notable section where he notes that uh, a number of people um, uh, uh, associated with the campaign deleted their communications. A number of them used uh, encrypted uh, forms of communication that, that the special counsel didn't have access to. And so it's impossible for them to say, for the special counsel to say, if access to that information would have caused them to come to, to reach a different conclusion. So this kind of goes to this larger point about the reason we can't establish collusion is because of the obstruction, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and he does note also that a number of people lied. And, and obviously, we've seen people who have, you know, have, have been convicted, have pled guilty to, um, to, to lying. And that's been the case all along, that, that you know, the president 
publicly has has not told the truth about some of his behavior, and that um, some of his aides have privately not told the truth, and um, and you know are, are are facing sentences for it. So, so Matt, let's do the obstruction for a minute because this is the part that I do find confounding. Uh, Mueller lays out episode after episode after episode where if we lived in normal law land, uh, this is a gimme, right? I mean, so many of these things. It doesn't matter if Don McGahn refused to fire Mueller. Uh, He asked him to do it. He asked, uh, you know, time after time, asked people to get rid of Sessions or to tune up Sessions or uh, to lie about Michael Flynn. Help me understand, is it just these structural problems where he just felt he couldn't get it over the finish line or it's article two powers why can't he just do it i think it's all of those and i note that in his analysis for why he didn't um, make a call the first thing he says uh, is is to reference the olc opinion um, finding that indictment or prosecution um, you know would would, it would be you know impermissible um, so that tells me that was high on his thinking, and then he he makes he makes an additional uh, or comes to an additional conclusion that even apart from OLC's view, he recognizes that a, a federal criminal accusation against a sitting president I'm, I'm reading would place burdens on capacity and potentially preempt the constitutional process for addressing presidential misconduct. My read of that is he's saying um, number one, OLC prevents me from uh, re- from, from indicting the president, and number two, uh, making that accusation preempts what Congress needs to do. And then he goes and lays out all the evidence. And my read is that he's really leaving it to Congress to make that determination. So so this raises the question that like makes everybody a little sticky, but it does mean that impeachment has to be back on the table, right? I mean, if we can't have that conversation, Nancy Pelosi, then there's no redress at all, right? I think at least the question of whether the conduct laid out in this report um, merits impeachment and conviction, that ha- that question has to be on the table. Whether Congress wants to take the additional step of voting to impeach um, is a question for them to decide. But they have to look at the evidence laid out here uh, and do a thorough investigation or at least a thorough airing and debate and decide that question. And if they decide that either um, they you know, e- either you know, legally or this kind of quasi-legal political determination that impeachment relates to, uh, they don't want, you know, they're not going to bring charges or politically they, they're not going to impeach the president or politically it's just not worth doing because the Senate will never convict. They can make that determination, but they need to have that debate. You started to flick at this, but uh, will you more fulsomely talk about uh, William Barr? Because I think that the notion that he was going to be a straight shooter and an institutional actor, a lot of us said he's a lifer. Uh, You know, he cares about the Justice Department and the integrity and reputation of the department. Uh, That was a pretty grim presser, uh, if that's the case. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that he said, I was just thinking as you were talking was uh, that that OLC guidance was not uh, the but-for cause of uh, Mueller's decision uh, not to go forward. That that seems not to be true. So can you just give me a quick thought on on uh, what Bill Barr was doing uh, when he all but said Donald Trump is the real victim here? I, I thought it was just an astonishing press conference. And I think that anyone that thought uh, Bill Barr would be a faithful adherent to the rule of law, and, and I was hopeful he would be, but didn't know, uh, anyone that thought that uh, was was absolutely mistaken. Um, I thought 
you know, as, as I said a minute ago, his decision to say that the president had been cleared when that's not what the Justice Department does and that's not what Mueller does uh, was wrong uh, on the conclusion piece. I thought the way he described uh, the president's actions on obstruction, where he basically made excuses for the president. You know, the the, the president's uh, associates were under criminal investigate were under investigation, and he was upset about that. Yeah, well, we now know that those associates, many of them, were actual criminals and have pled guilty to crimes. He not only excused the president's interference with the Justice Department's investigation and all of his attacks on the, on the Justice Department's investigation, but it gave license to the president to keep doing it. The president is still under investigation by the Justice Department, and Bill Barr is saying. It's okay for the president to interfere with with investigations, and, and then I think just the factual misstatements he made. Um, this this uh, you know the, the reference you made to to the OLC opinion. He tried to play that down. He, what he said was at least misleading, uh, and then his claim that the president fully cooperated with the investigation. Well, that's just not true. The president wouldn't sit for an interview, and he wouldn't even give written answers to the obstruction questions. So, to make excuses for the president in that way, when the president has been refusing to cooperate with an investigation that Bill Barr's department led and attacking that department over and over and over, I just thought was disgraceful. So the, the legal question is over. This now becomes largely a question of politics, and that means it's just a question of spin, right? We know that the White House is saying complete exoneration. It's all over. Let's investigate Hillary Clinton again. Um, is the public going to absorb what it is that you just said to me, which is uh, this is not complete exoneration? Is the public going to know what happened here? I think some of the public will, but I think the the uh, voters that get their information from conservative media uh, are going to have are going to have um, the uh, attorney general's interpretation, and that's why what what he did was just um, uh, just so irresponsible and so out of keeping with the way the department behaves. He knows that we are out of the, the legal realm and into the political realm, and he was putting his thumb on the scale for the president and giving the president a talking point and giving Fox a talking point, uh, giving everyone in the conservative media that the, uh, a talking point that the president was exonerated. And they're going to be able to run with that and truthfully say that the, the, the Justice Department exonerated him because the attorney general did do that. And, but that's not what the special counsel did. And um, uh, you would like to think that there will be a, a factual airing of, of uh, everything in this report. But we all know that's not how, fo- how Fox and the conservative media are going to cover this. And um, Bill Barr's press conference uh, was just an enormous gift to the president in that regard. Matt Miller served as the director of the Office of Public Affairs for the Department of Justice under Barack Obama. He's an MSNBC contributor and prolific writer. Thank you so, so much for being here, Matt. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jed Sugarman teaches law at Fordham University. He's working on a bunch of anti-corruption emoluments litigation against the Trump administration. And he writes about law and politics at Sugarblog and for us at Slate. Jed, thank you. I know you're jumping on a plane. Thank you so much for taking a moment. 
Dahlia, thanks for having me. So can you please start with the collusion and conspiracy piece of this, Jed? Because the way Barr laid it out this morning, it sure sounded like he was saying that unless Don Jr. was actually sitting in the laps of hackers uh, and typing for them, then there could be uh, no meaningful uh, uh, agreement to uh, conspire. Is that definition correct as a legal matter? Uh, um, I don't think that that's the, that's the correct definition. Um, it also gets into, the I think, the larger problems um, that we all are still having about what is the line between collusion and conspiracy. One thing I just want to highlight is just the backwardsness of Barr's argument about how to figure out whether there was conspiracy or obstruction. So this is exactly how Barr has it backwards. His argument is essentially, both in, in the letter that he uh, uh, distributed on Sunday night after the report was dropped um, in his lap. Um, and then this morning is that there continues to be an argument that, well, if there's no underlying crime, then there can't be obstruction. And in fact, it really is the opposite. It's that because of so, there, it was so much obstruction that it's impossible for us to know whether there was a conspiracy. I mean, this is really like uh, in baseball, at a play at the plate, um, a player, the batter on deck, throws dirt in the umpire's face and then argues that the player was safe. Um, the, the, it's the obstruction that deepens the conspiracy problem, makes the obstruction more serious, rather than saying, well, we know there was no conspiracy, and thus there couldn't have been, uh, couldn't have been obstruction. So maybe, Jed, that's the answer to one of the questions I had. One of the things that jumped out at me reading the report is Mueller writing everybody was lying to us. I mean, he just straight up says people were lying. And that's part of your, I think, assessment here, which is um, it's it's a very, very strange thing when he has to start from the presumption uh, that nobody's kind of telling the truth. Uh, and I and I guess I wonder a little bit on at least the obstruction piece of this, and I know we're toggling back and forth, but on the obstruction piece, there's something deeply weird, right, about the fact that the chief defense that Donald Trump has today is that he would tell people to do things and they just wouldn't do it. Uh, so he would say to Don McGahn, go fire Mueller. Or, you know, he'd say, take this letter uh, to Jeff Sessions, uh, Corey Lewandowski. And, and nobody would do the things he was telling them to do. That's a, a deeply, deeply weird definition of obstruction, right? I tried to obstruct justice, uh, but nobody would let me do it. That's right. And that's actually part of what the other piece of conspiracy matters. You, you, don't, um, you can conspire under federal statutes to commit another crime and fail to do so, as long as you take a, a material act. And that's what we have here. We have attempted obstruction. I mean, let, let's just lay it out. We have actual obstruction, first of all. Um, a lot of these events, uh, uh, not only firing Comey, but I would say, you know, there's now ample evidence of witness tampering um, by Trump. Um, and then we have attempts and conspiracy to obstruct justice with his order to Don McGahn to actually fire uh, Mueller. We now it's been reported, but now it's been confirmed in this uh, document, um, and so uh, it seems like there is a huge question here about um, obstruction and also about Barr's credibility. The other thing I'd say here is I think this act, now that we have even this redacted version, I think Barr is exposed for how he has characterized this investigation. Um, it is clear that the obstruction case was uh, as Mueller interpreted it 
was colored by the fact that they were talking about president. Um, and uh, Mueller makes explicit references in this report to the complications of a president um, not being able to be indicted under OLC memo. Barr mischaracterized that um, and uh, continues to, I think, mischaracterize whether Mueller was inviting Congress. He explicitly invites Congress to weigh in on this. So I, I think there are just a number of ways that Barr has been exposed and has no credibility in managing this investigation. Jed, I want to ask you this because this is another thing that really struck me trying to read through this and read through it quickly this morning. Uh, It seems as though Mueller is saying time and time again that there are constraints on him, sort of structural constraints, whether it's the OLC guidance that says you can't indict a sitting president, as you just said. He says that that really informs my decision making here. Uh, He couldn't uh, or decided he couldn't interview Donald Trump. Uh, He couldn't do a whole bunch of things. He talks about the president's Article 2 powers that confound uh, some of this. So he's saying in a hundred different ways, I tried to work within uh, the guardrails here. Uh, And it's interesting because then he turns around and says, but nothing is stopping Congress (laughs) from looking at this. And Congress certainly can bring it. So uh, is he just passing the buck? Is he in effect saying, look, you tasked me with doing this thing. I am shrugging my shoulders. I'm not not exonerating him. Uh, And Congress, it's your turn? It's a great question. I mean, I think, first of all, I do think that's explicit in this document, is, an, is, is the recognition of the separation of powers and an invitation for Congress to weigh in. I think that Mueller is being realistic. I mean, first of all, we don't know everything behind the scenes. Um, we don't know to what extent Mueller got signals that he had to make a choice about how hard to push for things like a live interview um, that he may have known that Trump had tried to fire him, and he saw the reports that Trump had ordered his firing. I think it's very hard in hindsight to second-guess some of the decisions Mueller made, the big one being no live interview. Um, but I, I also think that there is a realistic understanding that once you had the mix of, of, of Whitaker and uh, Barr as attorney general, um, he also knew that the path would not be through pushing for an indictment of a sitting president. Um, and I think it was more realistic to talk about this being Congress. Let me say one other thing about this. I think it's also really important to understand why Mueller didn't bring any additional indictments with this report. Um, I think part of what Mueller was doing here was emphasizing a counterintelligence investigation, not just a criminal investigation. A lot of this document and a lot of what's redacted um, are about the Russian interference. And I think there also was a political understanding that Mueller wanted that piece of the report to be taken seriously and if it had come down with a series of indictments of uh, Don Jr. or Kushner, et cetera, um, it may have uh, made more partisan or made it more difficult for that part of his investigation to be taken more seriously across the board. Um, so it's, I wouldn't call it punting so much as I think Mueller understood the political constraints and that the Republicans in, in Congress did not back him in terms of his job security. And so really, I would say that the blame should lie on the Republicans for putting him in that precarious position to worry about the constraints on his power and his strategies, rather than say, you know, Mueller made um, a mistake in hindsight. 
And and that's just to to close, Jed, that was always Adam Schiff's posture, right? Adam Schiff has said for a year now, I want to get to the bottom of the counterintelligence probe. I want to know where we're exposed. I want to make sure this doesn't happen next time. There's a weird way in which throughout when you read these kind of Russian contact things, you just have this kind of keystone cop sensibility of, you know, well, Don Jr. didn't know what was happening in Trump Tower. Nobody knew what was going on. And yet there's a way in which there's this larger urgent question, which is, what did the Russians do and can they do it again? And as you say, I think that uh, Mueller took that incredibly seriously and now hands it off to Adam Schiff, who will also take it seriously. That's the piece of this that I think you're right, gets lost in all the gossip. But that's the piece that kind of stops your heart, right? Yes, I think that's right. But I also think it's important to to see that Mueller's given Adam Schiff and, and members of Congress a roadmap. I mean, there was the Watergate era roadmap that was never published. This is, I mean, look, this is this document is not as redacted as I as I had feared it would be, but it is still tremendously redacted. But I I'm hopeful that there will be you know a less redacted version. It sounds like there will be for, for for Congress. But let's I mean just hit some bullet points of where I I learn new things or there are new things in the record about this the Russian contacts. Yep. Um, uh, one is we learned a lot more about Kushner's contacts with a Russian spy named Dmitry Symes, um, where he set up a, a hotel meeting for Trump to meet Kislyak in, in, in late August of 2016. I mean, that's, these are, this is that, that section of the report around page 100 is really remarkable and pretty damning for Jared Kushner. Shocking that he has uh, national security access, um, given the conduct that we see here. Um, we also now know more about that, that, the Trump Tower meeting in June with Don Jr., um, that we have a new comment here that, um, that Don Jr. tells about Veselnitskaya um, uh, you know, I can't, they were talking about the Magnitsky Act and sanctions and Don Jr. reportedly in this report says that, well, there's nothing that Donald Trump can do about it now as a private citizen, but we will revisit it, quote, when and if Trump is elected. I mean, they were, this, this also exposes the obstruction of justice and how Don, uh, and how President Trump Jr. to lie about that Trump Tower meeting. Right. Um, so, so that I think deepens why this isn't a sincere um, belief that he was innocent, but really covering something up. And then two more points. Um, we now know in this report that Manafort, when he met with Kalimnik, August 2nd, 2016, um, he handed over to Kalimnik um, the internal polling and identifying battleground states to Kalimnik. How is that not a kind of coordination right. um, rising, rising, at least creating major, at least political questions? Um, and finally, I think this report indicates um, that the unknown person who uh, the the campaign officials who were directed um, to tell Stone to get in touch with WikiLeaks, I, I, it's it's still not explicit, but there are more signs that that was President Trump himself, um, and that is the core coordination with the hacking. Tell Trump telling officials to get in touch with Stone to get in touch with WikiLeaks doesn't have to be direct to still be a conspiracy. Wow, that's a lot to think about. Jed Sugarman teaches law at Fordham University Law School. He's currently working on anti-corruption emoluments litigation against the Trump administration. He writes about law and politics at sugarblog.com. You should definitely follow him there and on Twitter. And he often writes for us at Slate. Jed, thank you so very much. Thanks, Dahlia. Bye. Hugsameh. That is a wrap for this special Bob Mueller Report episode of Amicus. Thank you so very much for listening. 
Today's show was produced by Sarah Burningham with a very special assist uh, in the booth from Merritt Jacob. Gabriel Roth is editorial director of Slate Podcast. June Thomas is managing producer of Slate Podcast. And we will be back at our regular time for a regular show in a week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.